Hey, online family. Hey. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We're in a series. It's called This Is Us. Yeah, and what we're doing is we're playing off of a popular TV show right now that's out called This Is Us. And in this show, a death in the past of this family um, really shapes both the individual lives of those in the family and the overall dynamic of the family. And so what we're doing is we're kind of saying, okay, there was a death in our past and also a resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that impacts us both as individuals and how it does shape uh, the dynamic of our church family. That's right. Hey, God bless you. See ya. Could go anywhere. All right. <laughs> yeah, they keep me on the stage. Tease them every now and then, come to the edge. <laughs> All right. So we're in a series that's called This Is Us. And, you know, this is the deal you need to know. That someone that we know died a long time ago. And his death affects our life today. Do you know that? That someone I'm talking about is Jesus Christ. He died on a cross for you and I. And he did this and our life is affected today even 2,000 years later. Life is different. You know, we ought to, we ought to live, I like to say this, we, we ought to live like the death, burial, and resurrection actually happened. You know, like something was done. You know, Christianity is not just some religion. It's not just something we, we do to check off our list. Christianity is, is, is a radical life change lifestyle. Okay, it's it's you know, maybe it isn't even like it is a lifestyle, but it's something that we live from the inside out. It's something that God did in us and we walk it out here on the earth. That's the style about it. Okay, you know, and we're in a chapter. We're kind of, you know, disguising it, but we're walking through the book of Ephesians. You know, we sat around as a staff and we said, you know, we're going to talk about Ephesians the next series. And, you know, we didn't want to just call it Ephesians. So there you go. It's This Is Us. But we're talking about Ephesians. And uh, Pastor Stephen, he did such a great job last week. Such an important message because it's a message that affects every part of our life too. We need to know who God is. And we need to know that God's not behind all the problems in the world. Everything that happens in this earth is not his will. Okay? You know, uh, and, and that, that affects everything. It affects how you live life. It affects your relationship with God. It's how you see him. You know, if, if he's the guy, he's a bad guy going around, you know, throwing lightning bolts at us, that's going to affect our relationship. It's going to affect the way we live. And, and we need to know this, that, that God's will, man, he, he wants us to prosper. Uh, John, the apostle John said it like this, his will is that we'd prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. You know, you guys want your soul to prosper? You know, it's probably, I've said this, other people have said it as well, probably the number one need of a Christian, the number one need. You know, people say, well, what's the number one need of a Christian? And people think, well, you know, that they have their bills paid or, you know, health in their body. Really, the number one need of a Christian is that we renew our minds. That we start thinking up here the way we are in here, okay? That's, that's when transformation happens. Okay, there's like this revolution that happened on the inside of us, this, this power on the inside of us, but we got to start thinking like our hearts. Uh, I could say this, your heart is smart. Okay, you got to be careful saying that. You could slip that up in all kinds of ways. But anyway, I won't do that. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 is where I'm going to start this morning. 
And I'm starting with the prayer that, that Paul prayed. And to me, it's a very familiar prayer because we've prayed this prayer, I couldn't even tell you how many times. I, I remember when we started this church back in the year 2000, Dane and I, we would pray this all the time for our church, that, that our people would just be filled with, with God. They'd be filled with this revelation of who he is and that, that they'd just see things. How many think it's a good thing to see things, to see who we are? So let me get at it. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul's praying this prayer, the Apostle Paul. He's praying for believers in, in Ephesus. Really, he's praying for people that are just like you and me, okay? People that have been born again. And he prays this in verse 15. He says, therefore, also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus uh, and your love for all the saints, I don't, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, you know something I love about this? is that he started to pray after he heard of their, their, their faith and their love and, and, and how good they were doing. You see, what I was thinking is that that's when most people stop praying for you. You know? Well, they're doing pretty good. I guess I don't need to pray for them anymore. Well, Paul says, well, I heard about how good you were doing and, and you know what a testimony you are. And that's when I started praying for you. Because I want God to, 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 to manifest the fullness that he has for you in your life. Pray for us. Pray for us. Um, it goes on. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And, and this is where I'm going to tell you this. Your heart can be smart. You guys, you know, the, the thing nowadays, they've been around for quite a while now, actually, but having smartphones. But, you know, you can have a smart heart, a smart heart. And, you know, it takes regular upgrades, you know, regular downloads to keep you going, you know, and, and, and downloads from heaven. He prays in verse 18, he says that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened and that you'd know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? You see, Paul's praying for these people here in Ephesus, people like you and me, and he's praying this, that we would begin to realize who we are in Christ. You see, really, the first few chapters of, of Ephesians is a great revealing of who we are and what Jesus did for us. And then as it goes on in Ephesians, it talks about how, how to apply this stuff to our life. You know, that's what I, I, I love that. I love that because God's word, Christianity, what Jesus did needs to be applied to the daily life that you and I live. You know, what we're learning in church ought to not be something we say, yeah, praise the Lord. We run around the church three times and then forget it. It ought to be something that we hear and say, I see how this fits into life. I see how this makes a difference on Monday morning when I go to work. I see how this makes a difference when, when I, I'm with my family how I can live this stuff out, how I can live this stuff out when I'm at school, you know, uh, wherever you are, when you're at the coffee shop, that's where I'll be, you know, how does it work out? How do I live this stuff? How am I different because of what Jesus did for me? All right, so you ready for this? There's five Greek words in the New Testament. I don't do this a whole lot, okay, but I'm going to go there today. There's five Greek words in the New Testament 
that are translated as the word, our English word, power. Okay, you know, five totally different words, but somehow in, in the, the English Bible, they get translated, you know, in different ways as power. And so the first one is this word called dunamis. Most of you have heard of that. We've taught on dunamis before, you know. In the English, we get the word dynamite and dynamo from this word dunamis, and it means inherit, inherent power, power that is stored up in something. Now, another Greek word translated power is this word it's called energia and energia is an outward or overt power it's where we get the word energy and it's like this a number of years ago i had a, a, a dan and i had a, a a tree that had to be taken down in our yard and you know if you got trees something you have is 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 saws you know, if you're a homeowner and you got trees, you probably have saws at home. Now, I'm not on the level of some people because all my saws are, are this kind of saw, you know, you know, and they give your arm a good workout and everything. So I had this tree and, you know, it had to be some things had to be cut up so it could be taken away. And, and all of a sudden I see my neighbor, Tom, come walking across the yard. And what he has is a chainsaw. Now, I don't know if I did that, but, this, but I could have looked at Tom and said, all right, that is power. That's power. Well, the kind of power that would be is dunamis, dunamis power. There's power in that thing. But then when Tom comes over and he pulls the cord and it goes zoom, 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 you know, I don't know, I can't make a good chainsaw imitation. <laughs> zoom, 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 you know, sounds like Nike tennis shoes or something. But anyway. But, but, but when he pulls the cord and releases that power and starts cutting branches into little pieces, I go, wow, there's some power. That would be like that second Greek word, energia. The first one, there's power in it, but the second one is like power displayed. Okay? Are you following me on this? All right, so here's a couple others. There's this word kratos, which means ruling power. In the English, we get the word democratic. Uh, and then there's this word called itches. I could be saying that totally wrong, but if you're not a Greek scholar, you won't know. My, my, my younger brother is dating a girl who knows Greek. So if she was here today, I'd have to go to her and say, how do you say this, this word? But anyway, it means endued power. And then the fifth word is the word exousia, which really should never even be translated power because it really means is authority, okay? So anyway, there you go. There's my Greek lesson for this month, this year. Um, but here's the thing. Yeah, verse 19 that we're coming up on. Verse 19 has four, four of the five words translated power in the New Testament. Four of them are found in verse 19. Four of them. So it could be argued that verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 1 is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. What is the exceeding greatness of his power, dunamis, toward us who believe according to the working energia of his mighty uh, kratos, power, itches? It could, you know, that's, that's, that's the Ephesians 19. So there's times in the Bible that we can see the power of God displayed 
here on the earth. I mean, you know, there's, there's creation. Creation, I, how many would say that God's power was displayed in creation? You know, God said, light be, and it was, and it goes on from there. And, and you know, another one I think of is, is, you know, when the children of Israel were crossing the Red Sea and, and the seas parted before them, you know? When I was a kid, that movie came out in the theaters, uh, the Ten Commandments, and that's all anybody ever talked about was, man, did you see the scene where they parted the Red Sea? I mean, nowadays it's probably kind of hokey, but boy, back in the, was it 60s or I don't know, whatever it was, and when I was in the theaters, it was like, wow. That was amazing. So, I, you know, that was a display of God's power. Uh, you know, when the walls of Jericho fell down, that was, again, a, a display of God's power. I mean, think about it. Walking around the walls of this city, this wasn't just like a little wall. This is like a huge wall that, that, that people lived in these walls. There was houses in these walls, and these walls fell down flat. It was the power of God. But the greatest display of power that, that you'll find anywhere was the power that was released when Jesus was raised up from the dead, okay? When Jesus died, was buried, and, and, and raised up from the dead, that was the greatest display of power this world has ever seen. And Paul's talking about this power, you know, that, that raised Jesus. He's talking about it, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting, he's talking about it in his prayer, that he's praying for, again, people like you and me. And what he's praying is, he's saying, Lord, show these people, show me. I, I, I always say that, show me too. I don't want to miss out. Show us, Lord. Let us not take for granted this great power that you, you displayed in raising Christ from the dead. This power that's now working in me. Uh, he, I'll read on, verse 20, it says, he, he wor which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his, his own right hand in the heavenly places. He describes this whole scene. He says, it's far above. Can you say far above? Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul's describing his power. Such power that was released that Jesus went from this place of the dead, this place of suffering, and was rocketed to the highest place, far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, everything that could be named, Jesus is above it. See, that lets the air out of the balloon of what the devil's been telling you. He comes at you with all kinds of thoughts and how powerful he is. But Paul's praying here, and we're praying this, that we would see reality, what it really is. We've got this power in us that Jesus was raised far above all the power of the enemy. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, Paul again talks about some of the same stuff. You'll find this in, in his letters. You'll even find that he, he prayed some of the same things for, for people in different regions. But here in Colossians 2, it says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with, with him, with Jesus, with Christ, having forgiven you all trespasses, uh, 
having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, contrary to us, he took it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. In verse 15, it says he disarmed principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Why do I read that? It's talking about the same power that he's talking about in Ephesians chapter 1 when he's praying. He's talking about this power that was so great that, that it, 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 it crushed the devil. It, it raised Jesus up and, and, and made, a, made a mockery of what the devil was and what he was doing. Connie Bear translation says he disarmed principalities and powers. He disarmed them and put them to open shame. The Phillips Bible says he drew the string of the powers ranged against us and exposed them shattered, empty, and defeated. Then the, the J.W.C. Wan says, He stripped away like a cast-off garment every demonic rule and authority and made a public exhibition of them. Let me read on. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You see, we, we've broken this down into chapters and verses, but really it was a letter that he wrote to the churches at Ephesus. And he goes on the same thought, and he says this. He says, and you. Don't you love those words? That's probably my two favorite words right there is, and you. Because everything he just talked about, this great power that was displayed on the earth, greater than creation, greater than the, the Red Sea parting, greater than the walls of Jericho falling, or any other story you might imagine, greater than David and Goliath, greater than any of those. Not to belittle any of them, but this was greater. And when he describes what happened, he says this, he says, and you were there too. And you are connected with this kind of power. And you, it says, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, folks, this is who we are. This is who we are. Don't let the devil define who you are. Don't let the world define who you are. Don't let your feelings define who you are. Let God do it. Let God show you who you are. Paul prayed this, he says, and, and, and he says, And you he made alive, and, and were dead in trespasses and sins, who once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all uh, once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love wherewith with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, he made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you've been saved. You see, it's not that we're better than anybody else. We've all walked this road, but we've tapped into something that's so powerful, it's the grace and the mercy of God. And by doing so, we've been connected with the greatest act of power that ever was, and that was Jesus being raised from the dead. In the eyes of God, how many like to look at what God sees? In God's eyes, when Jesus rose up from the dead, he saw you and I raise, being raised up with him. He saw you and I right in that same moment. He says, wow, Jesus did this. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for the whole world. He didn't do it. Because he didn't have any sin of his own. He took our sin and became it. And God was able to deal with our sin through one man, Jesus Christ. Let me read a little further. Verse 6. Gets gooder and gooder. 
It says, and he raised us up together, and he made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow. That's where you and I are this morning. We're sitting here in Menominee, but we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Spiritually speaking, you're ruling and reigning. You're seated with him. You know, when you pray, how many of you guys pray? Never pray from a, prayer, a place of defeat. Pray from a place of victory. Do you have, I mean, I won't even ask for a show of hands. We live in a world where problems, we're confronted with problems all the time. You can be walking along, skipping down the road, and all of a sudden the phone rings, and these, these problems get dumped on you. And what do you do? If you're like Dane and I, we'll, we'll go pray, you know? And, and uh, you know, if you're not careful, you could pray from this place of gloom and defeat. Don't do that. You've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Well, you know, I, I just don't feel like that. I'm not telling you how you feel right now. Feelings are irrelevant. irrelevant. Feelings can be good and feelings can be bad. Okay? But I'm telling you what God says. I'm telling you what he sees. And he sees that we've been raised up with him. I got to read this. I couldn't not read this one. Romans 8, 11. After talking about this power. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Get these next three words. Dwells in you. Dwell, say, say he dwells in me. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is what the Bible says you are. This is who God says you are. This is how he sees you. And I tell you, it's a mission in my life to begin to see myself the way God sees me. To look at my life, to look at the things, the people that I interact with and see that, wow, I'm going to see it like God sees it. You know, we live in this fallen world, this fallen world that wasn't God's original plan. You know, his original plan, you go back to the Garden of Eden, you'll see what he originally planned for mankind. We've, we've fallen from that place. And this world that we live in, you know, it, it challenges the reality of who you are. And we need to be careful to always go back to what God says we are and not be shaped by something other than what God says. Are you following me today? I'm going to tell you a story. There was this pastor, okay? Not much different than me, okay? He was, he, their church was doing really well. We're doing good here too. And they were going to expand their church, and by the way, when we expand this church, probably what's going to happen is that wall's going to go. And we'll, we'll move out to, you know, as far as the sidewalk. Yeah. You know? That's probably what it'll be. And, and over there, we'll, we'll expand kids' church. Now, I'm not telling you we're doing that now. But it just, just comes to my mind because I'm talking about this pastor who is expanding his church. And, and here's the part that was kind of like me. This pastor... He didn't, he wasn't very skilled 
at construction. He wasn't very skilled at, at you know, with wood or with cement or any of that kind of stuff, but he was excited about what God was doing. He was excited about the expansion of the church. So he was down there at the church, you know, daily and looking at what was going on, watching the, the construction going on, and he would, he would bug the construction foreman, and he'd say, he'd say, hey, what can I do? Is there anything I can do? Well, the foreman, he was wise. He knew that pastor couldn't do nothing. <laughs> so he held him, you know, at arm's length most of the time. But, you know, the pastor continued to be persistent. And, and he says, what can I do? Finally, one night the foreman says to the, to the pastor, he says, oh, I got a job for you. He says, you see those, those uh, boards over there? He says, they're, they're two by fours, and we need a hundred of them cut to be eight foot long. A hundred of them to be cut eight foot long. So the pastor was so excited, you know, he says, all right, finally, and everybody goes, and the pastor's left there with his boards to cut a hundred eight foot two by four. Sounds like quite a big job. So he cuts the first one, he measures it out precisely, and comes out to eight feet, and he cuts that board. Then he comes to the second one, and instead of measuring it with the tape measure, he takes the board he just cut, and he uses that to measure it. And then when he cuts the third one, he doesn't use the first board he cut, he took the second board he cut, and, and he, he, he uses that to measure it. And, and, and through the course of the night, by the time he gets done with 100 boards, some of those boards that he cut were up to nine feet long or, or longer. Because every time he did it, you know, the, the measurement was off by a little bit, by an eighth of an inch or so, and it kept growing and growing and growing. So what am I telling you? Is that don't ever measure yourself by anything other than what God says you are. Don't even measure yourself to the last generation. Don't measure you, don't let the world measure you. Don't let the culture of this world tell you who you are. Let God tell you who you are. Because he made you to be spectacular. And he's called you, I, you know, I've said this before, but I remember as a young Christian, and, and I, I, when I first got born again, I, I went to work with the Billy Graham Association. I wasn't writing sermons for him at that time. It's a joke. It's a joke. I really. But, but I was working, you know, in the mailroom and, and, and driving the truck and whatever. And, and uh, I, 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 I had this in my heart that I was going to go to Bible school. And finally, you know, through a series of events, God showed me I was going to go to this place called Rama Bible Training Center. And uh, the, the head teacher in that school was a man named Kenneth Hagen. And, and he was pretty, you know, in some circles, he was very well known, okay? And so I'm walking down the hall one day at work, and this girl that I knew walked up to me and said, wow, we heard you're going to Ramah. And I said, yeah, that's where God's called me to go. She, and she said to me, she said, terrific, you're going to be another Kenneth Hagin. And without missing a beat, I looked there and said, no, I'm not. I'm going to be Paul Carlson. Now, don't get me wrong. I have absolute respect for Kenneth Hagin. That man, you know, was like my example growing up, okay? But I don't want to be him. 
Don't you want to be him either? Be who God made you. All right, one more verse, and then we'll pray. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is what it says about you. It says this in the New Living Translation. It says, for we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus. We get to do good things that he planned for us long ago. The Johnson Bible says we're God's artistry. The Jerusalem Bible says we're God's work of art. The Wade version says we're his handiwork. And then I like this one. It's the Passion Bible. He says we've become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the de destiny that he's given each of us. You're God's work of art. You see, you're everything he says you are. You can do everything he says you can do. You can be everything he says you can be. Don't be fooled. Don't let anything else shape your life. Let God do it. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message was a blessing to you. Yeah, hey, we just wanted to give you the opportunity as well to partner up and plug in to the church uh, by giving. So if you would like to be a part of that and help make this all possible, you can do so by going to wearelovechurch.com slash give. You can also plug in, stay in the loop with what's going on at the church via our Instagram and Facebook platforms. So love y'all. God bless you.